Good morning. Let's try that again. Okay. Let me see if I can get set up here. Uh, let me just say to my uh, brother, Dr. Chris Peters, uh, thank you for the wonderful invitation to come and share God's word with uh, these God's people here at Cross Creek. I appreciate the kind things that you share. I don't know how much of a mentor uh, I've been to Chris. Uh, one thing as uh, a pastor, I enjoy being around younger people. I get to learn a, a whole lot. See, the world is changing. And through my hanging out with the young people, I get to be informed and updated on the things that are transpiring and going on. Let me just say to you here at Cross Creek, uh, God has blessed and highly favored you. He has given you a pastor after his own heart. And that is something that you need to give thanks and praise to God for, especially in the times in which we live. Someone who will preach uh, the uncompromising gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and will also love you with the heart of Christ. And so I would say to you, you are better than blessed. The story is told of a older elder who one day greeted uh, the pastor as he came in. The pastor had a Band-Aid on his cheek, and so the elder looked at him and asked him, uh, why do you have the Band-Aid on your cheek? And the pastor said, while I was thinking about my sermon, I cut myself. Then the old deacon responded, next time you ought to think about shaving and cut your sermon. So <laughs> after uh, greeting Chris when I got here, I was made aware of my time limit. And uh, that story came back to my mind. And so I pray that you will pray with me as God speaks me on my way. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day. We thank you for the opportunity to fellowship uh, with brothers and sisters in Christ here at Cross Creek. We thank you for the leadership here and the way that you have raised up uh, Dr. Peters along with the elders and others that serve. We just commend them to your care. We pray that you will continue to bless them to bear much fruit, not only in this community, but in the world at large. Honor now our time. Bless your word. And I pray that as I proclaim it, that it would be known that I preach not for fame nor fortune, but to the end someone might be saved. To the end, someone who is here that lacks faith, they may come to faith in Christ. And for those of us who are faith believers, that our faith will be increased. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I'm going to take my watch out of my pocket. But I recall my son, when he was giving a speech, he did this, and he made the statement, my dad does this all the time, but it doesn't mean anything. God's word today will be taken from the Gospel of St. Luke, the 7th chapter, beginning at the 18th verse. Follow along as I read. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, 
or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. He answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. The word of the Lord. As is printed in uh, your uh, program, uh, I'm going to share with you from the theme, Jesus is the one. The thing does two things. It strikes a chord of great assurance. And when we stop and think about the times in which we live, the cultural challenges that we face, it is good to know that Jesus is the one. It's great to have that assurance in light of all that we are contending with. Secondly, it makes a substantial claim about Jesus, a claim that above all people, he is the one. In our pluralistic society, there are many competing faiths and religions. Islam claims that Buddha is the one, well, Muhammad rather is the one. Buddhism complains that Buddha is the one. Mormonism claims that John Smith is the one, to name just a few. Then there is atheism, which denies the existence of God Altogether, in light of today's culture, Christians need to be sure we need to be fully persuaded that Jesus is the one. As parents raising one, young children, we want to make certain that we share with them that Jesus truly is the one. Now, I'm reminded of my dating relationship with my wife. And married couples, you perhaps can think about that as well. Do you remember when you first started dating your spouse? Um, in a simplistic way, I would like to say that there are three things involved in that process. First of all, there is what I call the attraction. One had to, first of all, be attracted to the person that you start dating. Perhaps you entered into a room, and across the room you saw this handsome gentleman or this very pretty young lady, and you were attracted to one another. And following the attraction came articulation. You began to converse with this person that you saw across the room, and through your conversation you began to get a sense of perhaps what they may be about, and perhaps this may be someone you would like to talk to. Following uh, the conversation, you went on to observe the actions of this person. And this was key because you're perhaps talking about ending, uh, ending up in a dating relationship, being with someone that you're going to open your heart to. They're going to get to see and know all about you. And if that's the case, you want to know for sure that this person is the one. You don't want to just open your heart to just anyone. Well, I would venture to say to you that when it comes to our faith, we want to know that Jesus Christ is the one. We are in a relationship.
and we have put our faith and trust in him. And we want to know that he is the one that we can count on. He is the one that we can trust. He is the one that we can depend upon. John found himself in a similar situation. But you'll see in a minute, I, I will allude to the fact that it was ironic that he found himself in this situation. We find as a background of the text, John the Baptist is in prison for speaking truth to power. He reproved Herod Antipas for the immoral action of marrying his brother's wife, Herodias. So while in prison, he became concerned about the ministry of Jesus Christ. But before I go on, I would just like to say that when it comes to speaking the truth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there's ultimately a cost to be borne. We see that John the Baptist is speaking to Herod, the king. He's speaking to power. He has reproved him for marrying his brother's wife. That did not go over well with him, and particularly it did not go over well with Herodias. And so she encouraged Herod to imprison John, and John is in prison. And from time to time, he would receive reports from his disciples as to how ministry was going. But ultimately, he would get to the place to where he was somewhat perplexed. And his perplexion led him to ask the question of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus, are you the one? Or should you look, or should rather we look for another? For a few minutes, I want to examine the text. And I want to address three elements that I have pulled out of the text. The first element, the existential question. And I... Cite this from the NASB, and it goes as thus. Are you the expected one, or should we look for someone else? Are you the expected one, John? Is, this is the question that he has given to his disciples to go to Jesus and ask Jesus this question. And this is an important question. It is a substantial question. Because John wants to know, have I been serving in vain? Are you the one, the expected one who was to come? The expected one, and, and that, that word expected, that speaks volumes to us. It speaks volumes because it says to us that Jesus was certain to come. That is encouraging. There's no accident that we are assembled here today enjoying worship praising the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because it was expected it did come to pass. But yet and still John found himself in a precarious situation and perhaps there was a tinge of a doubt. He was struggling with ministry and perhaps we've all have been there. We all have been at a point in our own faith walk where perhaps we have questioned whether or not what we are doing is indeed something worth doing. 
And I think Ben alluded to it as he talked about skepticism in that regard there. Those who do not believe that Jesus indeed is the one. John wanted to know from Jesus, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? Are you the incarnate one? His question is a question of existentialism, which is a philosophical attitude that stresses the individual's unique position as a self-determining agent responsible for the authenticity of his own choices. John wanted to know, Jesus, are you this one? There are those who purport to be the one. But I want to know from you personally whether or not you are the one. To put it another way, John is asking the question concerning the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when we speak of his sovereignty, we say that as a sovereign, he can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, to to whomever he wants to do it to, and there is not much we can say at all to him in terms of why he does it. John wanted to know if this indeed was true of Jesus. He wanted to know if he truly was the Christ, the Son of the living God. I stated earlier that this is an ironic question. It's ironic because when you examine John the Baptist's experience, you will discover that he was the forerunner to Jesus Christ. As forerunner, he bore witness of the light. When questioned by the priests and Levites of the Jews, he did not deny that Jesus was the Christ. Rather, he denied that he was the Christ. And so when questioned, he confessed freely that he was not the Christ. And that was very important. He goes on to uh, say that one day he sees Jesus coming and he declares, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Now one would have thought that having that kind of experience and contact with Jesus, that this question perhaps would have never been asked of John. But even though John had been in a very intimate relationship with Jesus, had been used by God the Father to be a forerunner, he found himself in a very precarious situation. Why did John ask this question? There are three reasons, I believe. First of all, John was experiencing broken fellowship. The fact that he was in prison... Fellowship with Jesus had been broken. There was no longer that ministry connection that he enjoyed. He was out of circulation, and being out of circulation, he did not have his finger on the pulse of the things that were going on in the religious community. And so perhaps that led him to ask the question. Secondly, he was dealing with personal adversity. God had used him mightily, and now he finds himself in prison. Now he finds himself removed from doing what God has called him to do. He is no longer free to move about and 
proclaim, make straight the path of the coming of the Lord. See, adversity can have that effect on you. It can lead us to a place to where we may doubt and uh, even question whether or not Jesus is the one. And then lastly, there is the misunderstanding of Jesus' ministry that perhaps led John to ask this question. John, like the other disciples, they all asked Jesus this question. This was an important question. Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? The disciples asked this, asked this question at the beginning of this ministry. And on the day of ascension, they're still asking this same question. Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Here, during John's time, Israel is under Roman domination. And John is concerned with deliverance. He is concerned with the people being set free. And so, perhaps, this also led to this question. It is important for us to appreciate and to understand that we are dealing with some challenging issues and things in our own culture. And, and we wonder to ourselves, Lord, when are you going to move? When are you going to address the things that are transpiring, the, the things that are going on? But let me encourage you and say to you that in light of all that is going on, God is still in control. His kingdom is still coming. His will still is being done. We don't understand and grasp all he's doing, but one thing we can count on, one thing we can know, Jesus is the way. The truth and the life, all power is in his hands. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you today, as we continue to deal with and face the challenges that we face in this country and even globally, understand and know that the Lord still is on the throne. He still is ruling and reigning in righteousness. Now, that is what we can celebrate in the midst of all the challenges and the struggles that we face. Jesus is the one. Be encouraged. You're dealing with challenges in your lives on a personal level. But in spite of that, be fully persuaded that Jesus is the one. Who else can you go to? Who else can you turn to? When Jesus was preaching and he was telling those who had come out to him, unless they eat his flesh and drink his blood, they could have no part with him. And this was a hard saying, and many turned away from following him. Then the Lord turns to Peter and the other disciples and asks them, Will you go away as well? And Peter said, Where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. I don't care how tough things get at the end of the day. Where can we go? Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and he is our help and our strength. The second element, and I'll pick up my speed here, uh, has to do with personal evidence. Now, when John's disciples find Jesus and they share with Jesus the question that John had <clears throat> encouraged them to share, we discover that Jesus does not offer an initial verbal response. When you look at the text, the text says that <clears throat> after they shared with Jesus, Jesus went about 
healing many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. That's pretty curious there that he would continue his ministerial work. Why would he continue his work and not stop immediately and address the disciples? I believe he did it because Jesus thought it best to provide the disciples with personal evidence. See, it's one thing to talk about who you are, but it's another thing to demonstrate through one's lifestyle who you truly, truly are. And so our Lord provides them with visible evidence of his authenticity. When the priests and Levites asked John who he was, John provided no visible evidence, but the only thing he could say was, I am just one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As I was stating, this was a much different response than John the Baptist. Jesus wanted them to have first-hand experience of who he was. I believe uh, our Lord's actions to continue doing ministry before responding to the disciples inspired these words by St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Ben said it right. We're doing a lot of talking today. But what our times call for more than anything is that we would be people who love not only in word, but also in deed and in truth. This is what the Lord expects of us, the body of Christ. He provides them with personal evidence. Following uh, this episode, he now provides them with an eyewitness report. It's nothing like having an eyewitness report. It's okay to have someone tell you something about a situation, but to be there for yourself and to see for yourself is something altogether different. Our Lord says to the disciples, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have the good news preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended of me. The Lord said, go and share your eyewitness report. And in this eyewitness report, there is the principle of the twofold witness. The twofold witness, go and tell what you have seen and what you have heard. In other words, our witness must contain that which is verbal, but having a verbal witness alone is insufficient. There needs to be a companion that goes along with our verbal uh, witness, and that is a visible witness. It's one thing to tell people about Christ and about his goodness, but it's another thing to share with them his own impact in your own personal lives, in your own unique situations. It's good to let people know that, yes, he is the one, and let me tell you why he's the one. I sit under Awesome preaching each and every day, but more than that, he manifests himself. He shows himself in my life, in my life situations. How were Old Testament prophets authenticated? 
They were authenticated by the manifestation of their prophecies. St. Francis of Assisi is correct. Preach the gospel. And if necessary, use words. You see, at the end of the day, it's character. It's our Christian walk that's going to have the ultimate impact in the lives of those whom we love, those whom we have opportunity to share the love of Christ with. Jesus is the one. I'm, I'm about to land. You talk about coming in, I'm, I'm about to land so we can get off on the tarmac and eat lunch. Jesus is the one. This report gave John the Baptist great assurance in the midst of his life-altering experience. John is in prison for speaking truth to power. But little did he know that in a little while his head would be required of him. That Herodias, because of her wicked and evil heart, would scheme to have John beheaded, unbeknownst to Herod. But it's good to know that when you're facing life-altering experiences, it's good to know that Jesus is the one. During uh, Dr. Peter's prayer time, you talked about the various uh, situations that members are experiencing and dealing with. It is in those times that we want to be sure. We want to know that Jesus loves us. We want to know that he cares for us. We want to know that we can stand on his promise where he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter how difficult the times may become, we know that Jesus will be with us. We live at a time of the fulfillment of John the Baptist's question. Are you the expected one, or should we look for someone else? We live at that time. However, the the question that remains for us is, have we put our faith in Christ and in Christ alone? He is the one, but have we put our faith and trust in him? Do you have full assurance of your salvation? If you were to die this day, are you sure that you would be received into eternity by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? There are a lot of things that we can't be sure of, but you can be sure of where you will spend eternity. Are you trusting Christ to sustain you? Are you trusting Christ to sanctify you? Are you trusting Christ to keep you as you come and go in life? We certainly need to do so at this day and time. There is a song that has been a blessing to my heart. It's a song uh, that was recorded by Whitney Houston. And we know of the tragic death which she died. And the song is entitled, I Look to You. And Jesus is the one that we truly need to be looking to. Election time is coming up. Do your duty as a citizen. Vote your conscience in that regard. But at the end of the day, you still must look to Jesus. We still must realize and know that the government is upon his shoulders and that the hearts of the kings are in his hands. In this song, the chorus is beautiful. 
And it says, when all my strength is gone, in you I can be strong. My strength is gone, but in you I can be strong. I look to you. And then the last part of that chorus, when melodies are gone, in you I hear a song. There are times when the melodies are gone, but when we look to the Lord, praise his name. Then we are able to hear a song that inspires, that encourages, that invigorate us, and we're able to keep going in life. Jesus is the expected one. We're living in the time of his spiritual presence. Physically, he is no longer with us, but we have the person of the Holy Spirit. But I say to you in closing, prepare now for his second coming. He will return. And when he returns, it is my hope and prayer that we all will be received unto himself. That where he is, there we may be also. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. Proclamation, honor your word now, encourage the hearts of your people. In light of the pluralistic times in which we live, let us not lose heart. Let us not fall away. Let us hold true to the fact, the truth, that Jesus is the one. We do not have to look for another. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.